He is risen. He is risen indeed. In fact, we're going we're gonna to warm up a little bit this morning. Uh, we're going to repeat that. So I'm going to say, he is risen, and then your response will be, he is risen indeed. But now here's the deal. I know you had good coffee this morning, so you should be fired up a little bit. So when you say it, put some emphasis on it. Okay, you ready? You, is everyone ready? All right. He is risen. Oh, good job. We don't even have to do it twice. You guys are right on this morning. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. I'm Barry. I'm the pastor here at New Community. And I got to tell you, it's so good to see you all here today. God is good. I agree with Jim. Uh, Everyone looks so good. It's the one day of the year where guys can get away with wearing pastel colors. So way to go, guys. This is good. If if you're brave enough to, to go beyond the bounds of Easter, good for you. Good for you. Well, Easter, what a great day. He is risen, and as the video says, he's, he's beaten death and sin, and he's redeemed our lives, and he's broken the power of the enemy. I've got to tell you, Friday, Good Friday, and the cross without Sunday morning would be one of the most depressing things would be one of the most, the biggest lies ever perpetrated in the world on humankind. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said that if Jesus had not risen again, that he was just a liar and a fraud. If Jesus hadn't risen again, his very own words would not have come true. And that means that we couldn't have believed anything he said, but he did rise again. On the third day, just as he said. I want to share a message this morning that I've entitled, Three Days. Three Days. I love the story of Easter, and it's one that's familiar for so many. I love the fact that all around the world today, in every nation of the world, that people, men, women, boys, and girls, are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So you're in good company with millions and millions and probably billions of people around the world as we celebrate this day. But when you come to a story that's so familiar, you know, for most of us would be able to recite the story of Easter and the death and the resurrection of Jesus without much trouble, with maybe not even opening our Bible. So it becomes a familiar story. And as I was reading through my my Bible again, through the, the resurrection story, I was just praying, Lord, what do, you want, what do you have for your people today? What do you want to share? And those, those words, three days, just stood out to me. I started asking the question, well, why three days? What's so significant about three days? Why is this important? Why not four days? Why, why not two days? Why couldn't Jesus just died one day and risen again the next day, right? Because being dead is dead. I mean, if, you, if you're dead for 10 minutes, they make a movie about you right? So why three days? And so I discovered some interesting facts and and, 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 uh, information about the significance of three days, and I'd like to share that with you this morning. But we're going to start this morning by reading out of the book of Luke and remembering exactly what happened that morning. So if you have your Bibles this morning, or if you're in the YouVersion app and you're on the, the events tab, All of the passages for this morning's message are all right there. 
uh, right in the events tab. That's something that we're going to have every week. So if you, you, you don't have to go home and go, oh, what was that passage that Pastor Barry shared? You can pull it right up and you'll have it, access to it. You can save it and, uh, and really have it as a resource uh, for you. And it's kind of cool too, right? Come on. Any techies in the room, you're just geeking out right now? All right, way to go. Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Taking the spices they had prepared, they, this is a group of women. And the reason they were taking spices was that they would take spices and embalm the body. That was a part of the burial process in those days. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now was Mary Magdalene and uh, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by, him, by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. You know, these very ones, the disciples, the people that were closest to Jesus, who he had just said very plainly, listen, they're going to crucify me and I'm going to die. They had a whole conversation about it. You can read about it. They, the disciples freak out. No, 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 you can't, right? This, this is not right. No, this is, this is what it has to be, Jesus said. But on the third day, I will rise again. You notice here how they seem to have forgotten that part? These are the people who had walked with Jesus and seen him perform miracles. They had seen him raise people from the dead, right? They'd seen Jesus call Lazarus out of a tomb, a man who was dead for four days, come walking out of the tomb. And yet here they are going to embalm the body of Jesus. And when the angels tell the ladies, the woman, hey, he's not here, he's risen just as he said he would. And they run back to the apostles and say, Jesus is risen. They said, well, it seemed like an idle tale. Just a story. There's no way. And, and there's a reason they thought it was an idle tale. See, because if you can imagine for the disciples and for those who loved him, he died on the cross. And they watched it happen. And they watched him get put in a tomb. I can imagine that next morning, maybe in the back of their minds thinking, you know, he said he was going to rise again. He's going to rise again. And then the first day passed. Second day. Well, he did say it, right? Am I remembering that, Thomas? 
Is that right? John, Peter, did, did he say that? I think that's what he said. And by the third day, it had gone from the words of their Lord and Savior to an idle tale. An idle tale. Because of three days. Why three days? Well, if you read through Scripture, you'll find out that three days is a significant number. In fact, if you you read even through the Old Testament, the New Testament, Scripture talks about three days over and over and over again. And if you have the Bible app, you can just search three days and see how many times, or third day, how many times that comes up in your Scripture. There's two that popped into my head just right off the bat. The first was this, the Israelites in Egypt. When Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go... That they might do what? Worship their God out in the desert. And of course, Pharaoh says, no, you're not going anywhere. But Moses ends up in a place where he's telling Pharaoh, not, not only can you, do you need to let them go, but they need to travel three days. They need to go three days out into the desert. And in that place, they need to worship the Lord. There's a picture of deliverance there. Traveling three days away from their captors was a place where the Lord would bring them to their salvation. Jonah, in the belly of a big fish, for how long? Three days. Three days and three nights, pointing towards the death and the resurrection of our Lord. With a message of hope and reconciliation. Now here's the difference between Jonah and Jesus. We talked about Jonah a few weeks ago. God said, I'm sending you. And Jonah said, send someone else, I'm not going. And he went the opposite direction. He had been given the message of hope and reconciliation, and he said, no, I'm going the other way. And God said, no, you're not. And he caused the storm, and he swallowed him. For three days, he was in this belly of this fish. And on the third day, he was spit up onto the shore, right by Nineveh, where he was supposed to be. And he went and preached the word of God, and people were saved. Three days. You can look up some others, but it's significant. Luke chapter 9, verse 21 through 22 says this. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell, tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 5. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Cephas being Peter. He showed himself to Peter. On the third day be raised in accordance with scripture. There is prophecy all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament pointing towards the death and the resurrection of our Lord. Isaiah spoke of it. The other prophets, there's, there's pictures of Jesus going to the cross all throughout the Old Testament. So why three days? Well, Something happens on the third day. I want to share a little bit of, for, for those of you that are science 
or into science and biology or anatomy. I want to share a little bit about what happens on the third day after someone dies. Now, now hear me, my intent is not to be gross. And, and, I, and I don't want to share too much detail, but there's something significant. See, on the third day after someone dies, something happens physically in their body. See, what happens is your organs begin the process of, of decomposing your body, specifically the pancreas, the pancreas and all the bacteria in the pancreas and in the, in the intestines uh, are released into the rest of the body and your body starts decomposing. It's why when Jesus goes to the tomb and Lazarus has been dead, not for three days, but for four days, and he says, Lazarus is not dead and they're arguing with Jesus going, listen, Lord, he's been dead and he's been dead four days. And if we open up that tomb, what, what's going to happen? It's going to be a smell. That smell is the body beginning the process of decomposing. There's a point where your body, uh, if you're not preserved or right in cryogenic somewhere, if just left it to, to decompose, on the third day is really the point of no return. See, your function, your, your bodily functions, your organs stop uh, looking like your organs. And they're no longer in a condition where they can be saved or restored. See, the third day was understood in that culture and at that time in a a culture where they didn't have the technology we do to preserve. They knew on the third day, we've got to deal with this body. We've got to get it away. And there's no hope. There's no hope. Maybe on the first day, maybe they're just sick. You imagine back then... You know, for us, we understand if someone slips into a coma, how we can take care of them. But in those days, if someone slipped into a coma, no one knew. No one knew. The best you could hope for is that after the first day or the second day, they would somehow wake up. But they knew this. By the third day, all hope was lost. So for the disciples waiting for Jesus to raise again, just as he said he would, by the third day, they were despondent. There's no way. And so the words of Jesus become an idle tale to them. Very quickly, there's no hope. They go to Lazarus' tomb and say, the smell will be overwhelming it's amazing how powerful the sense of smell is. We live in Glendora where we happen to have a few skunks, right? It was so funny. I was preparing for this and I thought, yeah, there's skunks in Glendora. I walked out my back door this morning to that wonderful aroma of skunk. You know, you can plug your ears when the noise is loud and you can choose what you put in your mouth. The guys, right, the, the whole thing with guys is, Someone will taste something and it tastes bad and we'll go, hey, dude, taste this, tastes awful. And then we'll try it. It's a guy thing. I don't get it, but we do it, whatever. You can kind of control the other senses, but when it comes to smell, it's a hard one to get around. And there are just some smells that stick with you. I knew when we started having babies, oh, the whole diaper thing. Not my favorite, and primarily because of the, the smell. I'm, I, again, I don't want to be gross or crude, but we understand that smell, and, and even the idea that it smells, in a, a scent, 
will, will trigger responses and memories. Maybe even years later, you'll smell something. You'll smell plumeria, and you're like, oh, Hawaii. And then you'll smell something that smells bad, and you'll remember, well, whatever it is that was bad. You can fill in the gap for yourself. The sense of smell is so powerful, and when something stinks, it's hard to get away. Right? Jesus was at a point of no return. Those ladies went with the spices to embalm his body to cover up and mask the smell. And what they found was an empty grave. What they found was linen cloths that had been folded up and left. Well, I don't know if they were folded. They were there. All the cartoons and the pictures I've ever seen, they were neatly folded. I think Jesus was a neat freak, right? He, he obeyed his mom and he folded his clothes. And he wasn't there. And there was no smell. There was no smell. God is in the business of bringing dead, stinky, smelly, beyond hope things back to life. It's his specialty. It's what he does best. He is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. And when we see the empty tomb, we're reminded that he started with Jesus but it extends to every one of us. It extends to every one of us. Three days applies to our lives in so many different ways, but I want to talk about two specifically this morning. The first is this. Three days applies to my soul. To my soul. To the, very, to the internal parts of who I am my emotions, my thoughts, my dreams, my hopes, my sense of purpose, my identity, the things that are inside of me that no one else sees. I can have a thought and no one's going to know what that thought is. I can be struggling or wrestling with, with stress or emotion and unless I evidence it and, and display it externally, you'll never know. And there's a battle that happens in our very souls, an internal battle. There are things inside of us that don't smell good, that have passed that three-day mark. And every one of us has them, and they're different for each one of us. I talked about hopes and dreams. Maybe it's a hope or a dream that has come and gone. And you're looking at it thinking, there's no way that's ever going to happen. I'd hope that this would happen, but there's no way. My dream was to be this or to do that or go there or to be with this person. And there's no way because three days have passed. And what had once been a a, a sweet smelling aroma for you, thinking about, oh, one day has now become a stench to you. That when you think of it, it it causes pain. And even just that, oh, that reaction, I don't want to think about it. Maybe it's a sense of purpose, being at a place in your life where you feel like, I thought I would have accomplished more, and I don't know what my life is all about. Asking that question, is this all there is, or is there more? Getting to a place where you don't even wonder if there's even more. You resign yourself 
to this is what it is. A few years ago, I got to go on a missions trip, my first missions trip to the nation of Haiti. It was a few years, a couple of years after the earthquake, and, and you land in Port-au-Prince, and there's just absolute destruction everywhere, a nation that was already ravished with poverty has this earthquake where over 200,000 people died. No food, no money, no education. I've got to travel different places around the world, but it was in, in, in Haiti where I experienced the, the, the greatest lack of hope I'd ever seen anywhere in the world, where people were just resigned to the fact that this was their lot. This is where they are. It's not going to get any better. I was born in Haiti. I will die in Haiti. And there's not going to be anything better for me. I'd never been so struck with a lack of hope, a hopelessness so evident and in so many people. And not just the old people, the young people. No hope. A Haitian man I was talking to when I talked about the earthquake was sharing with me how many people he had lost in the midst of the earthquake. How many of his family members? And if you're, if you're a, a Haitian person, you were, everyone was affected by that earthquake. No one in that nation was, didn't, wasn't affected, didn't know someone who died. My friend Benit was in a school in Port-au-Prince where the roof came tumbling down. He was a university and the person sitting in front of him and then the person behind him both died. And he escaped out of a gap, out of a space this big, and was able to crawl out of that building. And I'm talking to this man, and he's sharing about the people that had died. And, and I thought, man, he, he, he doesn't seem to, to be as sad about this as I thought he would be. Because then he says to me, you know, Barry, I'm so glad the earthquake happened. You just told me how many people died and how many people you lost. But he said, I'm so glad it happened. But because of the earthquake, people came and shared about Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I have hope. It rocked my world. That Jesus brings dead things to life. And even in the midst of destruction... And things coming apart that Jesus brings hope into a hopeless situation. But the biggest place in our soul where three days applies is in the area of sin. Scripture is clear about this. In fact, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. On Friday night, our Good Friday service, we had this cross up front. You can see some nail holes. At the end of service, we took those slips of paper. We wrote things on those pieces of paper that we wanted to leave at the cross. And then young and old came forward, and we had nails and, and hammers, and we nailed them to the cross because Jesus left those things at the cross. He paid the price for our sin and for our trespasses and for our iniquity 
He satisfied the requirements of the law on the cross for us so that we could walk in life. He made us alive together with him. God brings dead things to life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. The Bible is clear about this. That because of sin there is a separation between us and God. And our soul cannot connect with who God is because of that separation. And there is only one way to reconcile that brokenness. And that's through Jesus Christ. He brings dead things to life. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do we encounter life, and not just life here on earth, but life eternal? See, our bodies will fade, and one day, every one of us will die. And this body will stay behind, and it'll go through its process here on earth. But our soul will live forever. And we have to choose today where we want to spend eternity, where our soul will commune and fellowship. Will it be with God or in hell? Those are the two, only two options. And God gives us life. He gives us the opportunity for eternal life. That we would know God. Eternal life is knowing God. In fact, our, our vision here at New Community is that we would be a church who lives the gospel in such a way that people would first do this. Know God. It's the most important thing we do as a church. Is tell people about who God is. Because when we tell people about Him... Dead things come to life. He brings healing and wholeness. That we would know God. That we would grow in our faith. Healthy things grow, right? If you're a gardener, you understand that. If your plants aren't healthy, they're not going to grow. If your kids are not healthy, they're not going to grow. Healthy things grow when we need to grow in our faith. That we need to learn, learn to serve like Jesus. And then we go into all the world. Why? Why do we go to our neighbors and why do we go to the nations? So that people would know God. We have life to give. But we have life to receive as well. That Jesus came. That our souls. That our sinfulness. That our brokenness. Would be met with his resurrection power. And that the dead things in our spirit. In our soul. Would be brought to life. And the power of sin and death. Would be, would be broken. Once and for all. The second place that three days applies is this. It applies to my situation. So first to my soul, but then to my situation. You might think, well, okay, so God cares about what's going on on the inside of me. Well, what about the external things? He cares just about the internal and not about the external? No, he cares about both. He cares about your soul first because it is the eternal part of who you are. But he cares about your situation as well. 
He cares about what you're going through and what you're walking through. Your situation would be these things. Your relationships, your physical body, your work, your school, your finances, your calling, what you do day in and day out. You know that God cares. The Bible says that God cares about what you eat and that you eat, right? Today, you will you'll probably go somewhere, maybe go out to lunch or, or go to a family member's house or a friend's house and, and, and eat a great Easter meal. That God celebrates that and he loves to provide good things for his children, including good food. Can I get an amen? All right, you guys out there. I'm thankful for coffee. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I'm thankful for coffee. God cares about my situation. He cares about what you're walking through, what you're dealing with, the pressures that you're feeling, your circumstances. He cares and he wants to bring life to those circumstances. Can we just all agree this morning? There are circumstances in our lives that sometimes they just stink. In fact, we'll say that, right? Man, that really stinks. Why? Does it really stink? No, but, but we equate it to that sense when something stinks, it's not fun. Well, that really stinks. God cares. He cares about the situations. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your body. He cares about your work. He cares about your education. He cares about your finances. He cares about your home. He cares about all of these things. And he wants to breathe life into every part. Into every part. You know that there is not a single part of your life that God doesn't want to touch and bless. Not one. That in everything you do, he wants to be a part of it. And one of the greatest lies, in, I believe, in Western religion and Western Christianity primarily and, and really around the world, but especially in the West, in a place where we're so comfortable and we think we have what we need, is that we think, you know what, God can be a part of this. I will give my spirit and my soul to him on Sundays and Wednesdays. But everything else is under my control. And God says, no, no, I want to touch everything. Not control. And that's where a lot of people's minds go, go to. God just wants to control me. No, he wants to bless you. In fact, if you read scripture, you'll see it over and over and over and over and over. His desire is to bless you. And he wants to bring dead things to life in your circumstances, in your situation. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 through 6 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, the disobedience of every one of us. 
Isaiah here uses two words, the word transgression and the word iniquity. Transgression and iniquity are both translated sin in English. But they're different. They have a different root meaning, a different base understanding. See, iniquity is internal. Iniquity is this. Hey, I'm going out for a few minutes. Don't eat a cookie out of the cookie jar. Iniquity is this, the battle that goes. It's the little angel and the demon, right? Go get a cookie. There's like three dozen. They won't notice if one is gone. That's iniquity. Iniquity is the thing that leads us to action. It's the thing inside of us that says, you know what? I'm going to do it my own way. It's the kid when the mom says, you need to sit down in your chair. And he says, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. (laughs) Right? That is iniquity. Transgression is when iniquity wins the battle and we act out on it. That we actually do something about it. That's transgression. And the Bible says that Jesus died for both. The internal and the external. The internal sin, the iniquity, the things that would cause us to, and the evidence of it on the outside. I know for myself, so many of the external battles I fight and I face and I deal with are not because God doesn't love me. It's because I'm a knucklehead and I make bad choices. That there are times where I'm faced with, with decisions that I have to make and I go and I look at God's word and God says, hey, here's a good idea about this. Honor me in this way. Don't look at those things. Don't let unwholesome things come out of your mouth. Don't look on things that are unclean. Honor me with your finances. And I go, okay, Lord, that's a nice idea, but I'm going to do my own thing. And I end up battling in my circumstances and my situation because my iniquity becomes transgression, the internal evidenced in the external. God wants to breathe life. God brings dead things to life. Have any of you ever had an attitude that stinks? Come on. I know, it's Easter morning. There's probably some of that happening in your house. I had a bad attitude this morning. You can ask my wife. I woke up. It's Easter Sunday, and I'm the pastor of a church, and I woke up with a stinky attitude, and I had to repent. God brings dead things to life. Your soul and your situation. So here's my question. How do we respond? How do we respond to the cross and the empty grave? How do, we under, how do we respond to the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus died for us? That he died to bring the dead things in our lives back to life. How do we respond? I'll tell you what. We can't not respond. Not responding is a response. But I would rather choose the appropriate response, the right response. Paul tells us how we should respond in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 10, rather, verse 8. He says this, the word. Everyone say, the word. The word word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. By the way, the word, Jesus, that he is near you. 
That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and saves. Notice something. Internal and external. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. See, because you believe in your heart. It's where Jesus meets you. Maybe even in this moment right now, God is stirring your heart and speaking to you and saying, I'm trying to get through to you that this is for you. That this message is for you. He's stirring your heart. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It's a two-part deal. That it has to be internal and external. But there has to be a response. There has to be a response. How will you respond? How will you respond to the gift of life that Jesus is giving you today for your soul and for your circumstances? I want to invite you to stand and join me. I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to take your next step. Maybe, maybe what you're hearing today is familiar. You've heard this before. Maybe all your life. And even in the midst of knowing all of this all your life, God's speaking to you this morning and calling you to a response. And maybe this is the very first time that you're hearing this kind of message. Maybe your heart is stirring and God's saying, I want you to know the power of life, the resurrection power that raised me from the dead. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. Why? Because God brings dead things to life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to have a moment between you and the Lord. And I'm going to ask you for a response. I'm going to ask two, two questions of two groups of people. The first is this. If you have never said yes to Jesus, if you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that he is Lord and that he wants to be the Lord of your life, I don't want to miss this opportunity this morning to ask you the question, would you like to meet Jesus today? Because he wants to meet you. If that's you, if the Lord is calling to you to respond to him for the first, first time, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. Would you just raise your hand just real high? Thank you. See that hand. Anyone else? That you would respond to the love of Jesus for you today and say, yes, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. Thank you. I see that hand right there. Praise the Lord. Don't hesitate. See, because the enemy, Satan, is going to be whispering, saying, no, 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 you don't need that. No one likes a stink. We clean it out. 
God wants to clean out the stinky, smelly things in our lives. He wants to do a new work in your soul. Anyone else this morning who would say yes to the Lord? Okay. Second group of people. You've said yes to Jesus at some point. But you've allowed things to sneak in and come in. Make a mess. That there are things that, it, that you've introduced into your life, even though you've said yes to Jesus, that aren't good. That don't smell good. And you know it. And you're struggling and you're wrestling. And I tell you this morning, the struggle is not yours. Jesus paid it all. He bore that burden. He carried that weight. You don't have to because he did. If you're here this morning and maybe you've not been walking with Jesus the way that you need to, or maybe you've just walked away, maybe you've grown cold and, and, and maybe there's hurt and pain, but you know this morning that Jesus is calling to you and saying, I want to have that relationship with you, that life-giving, healthy relationship with you. If that's you and you want to stand this morning and say, Lord, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to you and recommitting my life to you. Would you raise your hand? Raise it high. Thank you. I see that. Two hands there. One in the back. Thank you, Lord. You know that the Bible says that heaven celebrates. Heaven celebrates and rejoices when one soul, when one person says yes to Jesus. And I can tell you right now, there is a huge party happening in heaven. Thank you, Lord. So what's your next step? For those that raise their hands, neither of those categories, we can lift our heads, open our eyes. I'm going to challenge you right now. I saw your hands. No one else was looking around. And I know who you are. And I'd love to follow up with you. In fact, right after the service, Megan and I, my wife and I, will be in the back of the room. And we'd love to meet you. We'd love to say hi. But I'm going to challenge you right now. See, what you've done is you've made an internal decision. It's a heart decision. But there's a confessing. And you can confess with your mouth, but you can also confess with your feet by taking a step of faith. This is a bold thing. I've wrestled with this my whole life. When I go to conferences or, 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 or evangelistic crusades, when they say people come forward, and I'm like, oh. But people will know. And Jesus says, yes, that's the point. Would you be so bold if you raised your hand? Would you come join me up here? Would you just step out? Don't second guess. Don't doubt. Don't wonder. Just step out and come right up here. Just join me right up here. Thank you. Come join me. I know, there, I know there were other hands. I know there were other hands. Don't. I'm not going to pressure you. I don't want to force you. But we want to celebrate. The Bible says, just hang out right here. Anyone else? If you raised your hand, would you come join? Way to go, guys. I'm going to high five right here. Way to go. Anyone else? 
Jesus says that he will confess us before his father if we confess him before men. Why is this important? Because the minute you walk out that door, Satan's going to say these words to you. Yeah, you raised your hand, but no one else saw and no one else knows. So does it, does it really even count? Thanks, brother. Yeah. But when you stand up here, you can go, heck yeah, I counted. I stood in front of all these people and said, I'm committing my life to Jesus. I don't want to rush past this moment. Anyone else? Be brave. Step out. Take that next step and confess your decision to follow Jesus. I don't want to embarrass you. But I, I want to acknowledge what Jesus has done for you. Can we give God praise right now for what he's doing? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray a prayer together. I want you guys to repeat the prayer, but we're all going to pray it together. For those of you who raised your hands, pray this prayer and mean it in your heart and then live it in your life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the death you died on my behalf. That you took my sin, you took my my shame, my transgressions, my iniquity, and you nailed them to a cross. Thank you that you rose again and that I have life because of your resurrection. I choose to live my life differently. I ask for forgiveness for my sin and I commit to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.